Race Fuels is Australia's leading supplier of racing fuels. And with the new Bowsers at Queensland Raceway, it's never been easier to source your racing fuel trackside. Elf Race 102 is imported racing fuel direct from Europe. Offering power and protection, the Elf Race 102 is a popular fuel with racers seeking gains over pump fuel. Improve your lap times with Elf Race 102. Racefuels.com.au for all your fuel at the racetrack. This is the Race Fuels Grassroots Racing Podcast and your hosts, Darren Smith and Gary O'Brien. Well, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Grassroots Racing Podcast. This is episode 31. A very big welcome to you all. And as always, if you've been with us from the beginning, fantastic. You've had 30 very, very highly competent, entertaining podcasts, we hope, come directly into your ear holes. So I'm Darren Smith. And as always, uh, I rely very, very heavily on one of the biggest oracles of Australian motorsport. Unfortunately, I couldn't get him to join me in a podcast. So we've got Gary O'Brien joining us as we have done for all the previous 30 podcasts. Welcome, Gaz. Yeah, hello to everyone. Hello, Daz. Um, I think the guests have what made our show. It's not been us. Yeah, well, my contract says something different, but uh, that's oh, yeah, all right. We yeah, both have, yeah, you have you a one-page your own or, skills, don't you? You, you have a one-page <laughs> contract. I have thirty or forty pages in mine, so uh, we'll, we'll all uh, we'll all argue about that. Mine's a proper motorsport contract that's got everything covered off. No, mine's yeah, she'll be right, mate. <laughs> yeah. Well, guess uh, episode thirty-one. Uh, we've got a ripping fellow um, going to join us uh, in this one, and uh, let's hear what Terry Wyhoon has to say. Thanks for having me on today, boys. Looking forward to the chat. Absolutely no problem, Terry. Um, both Gary and I always feel immensely privileged with uh, with our guests that we get on and our podcast because we're still actually quite amazed that people say yes and want to join <laughs> us and, and have a chat and, and share their motorsport journey as much as we like to press everyone with our motorsport journey uh, through the, the chat as well. Um, Terry, a massive career in motorsport is behind you now and i guess there's still going to be more in front of you where did what was your first experience where was it what was your first experience at a at a motor racing event whether it be a rally speedway racetrack what what was it that, that you first went to and went wow I, I reckon i might do something in this area well where i grew up here in currumburra with me mum and dad down a uh, street called hawkins street i had across the road a uh, mate of mine uh, that raced dirt speedway solos. So he'd be out working on his motorbike, driving it up and down our street, you know, testing it and whatnot before he went to Brooklyn Speedway on a Saturday night. And at the bottom of the street, I had another fellow by the name of Tony Coolan who was the uh, into uh, speedway A-grade hot rods, they were called back in the day. And he'd be doing the same. He'd be out working on his race car during the week of a night and I'd go down and see what he's up to and then occasionally follow him down to Niora and down to Brooklyn. Um, so I had these two guys in the street, one racing motorbikes, one racing cars, and I thought, this is pretty cool. You know, I used to muck around with cars in the backyard all the time, Dad's old bombs, and um, I thought I wouldn't mind getting into the into the racing, having a bit of a look. Niora Speedway was only 10 minutes out the road, so... 
that's where the interest, I guess, came from. And then I purchased my first race car for $900. I borrowed the money off my mum and um, bought this um, A-grade hot rod thing, the homemade car with a six-cylinder Holden in it, three carbies and triple carbies, and proceeded to um, modify it in the backyard and go racing at Niora. That's where it started. So what what was it? What was the car? Hot what what formed the hot rod? Um, so it had a nineteen thirty four Ford body on it, fiberglass body, homemade chassis, and it had um, leaf springs, a semi elliptic front spring that went across the front. Um, so I modified all that and I made my own coilovers for the front of it. I can remember taking out this little holding diff it had in it and putting a HR rear end in it, so it had a bit wider um, track. And then went on to make bigger wheels. Just we did my dad and I did it at old Volkswagen wheels. We'd cut the center out of them because they were 15 inch and put some of these big racing tires that I could find somewhere and put them on the back. And so it, you know, it was I was keen to drive it, but I was also a part of actually building it. And it's probably not that much different to what I do today, you know. I still enjoy having a drive. Um, but the engineering, if you want to call it that, you touched on that there just before. Um, fairly big word. I don't know what it means these days. I think it means sitting in front of squiggly lines. But to me, engineering was a gas axe in one hand and a welder in the other. <laughs> so, Terry, what gave you the, I guess, the confidence that, you know, at, I, I don't know what age you were, but we, did you do some time as a, as an apprentice or is this still at a, at a tender young age that you're sort of uh, weld, welding and, and cutting and doing all that sort of thing with it? Uh, well, I had my first race meeting, I was 17, but it was probably a year or two before that, to be fair, that I was cutting and welding with Dad at home, making bits and pieces. And and then we got into building this car, or modifying it and doing what we could to keep it running because, you know, first few years there was a little bit of contact with the car on the wall, so we had to cut it up and straighten it and, you know, fix it up. So, I mean, that whole process was quite good. I enjoyed it. Um it's funny though, you know, like I had a lot of mates in the area, but not a lot of them got involved in that. Um, my dad was fairly handy with his hands and taught me how to weld and what to do. So I was doing that sort of stuff at 16. So so, so to go to the Speedway for the first time, how do, how do you learn, obviously, because you're going around in one direction through the whole thing, did you take note of what people told you before you got there or did you just turn up and think well i'll just keep driving around and learn on the fly learn on the fly there's nothing like it is today gary you know like <laughs> all the processes you go through you know with young kids today go to the simulator you know send them track maps send them the notes from from the, the applicable to that track take them there have a briefing you know, you've got to be kidding. Like, <laughs> it was put the car on the trailer, go to the track. First time you've seen the track is when you drove out onto it and off you go. And how yeah. did you go in your first meeting? Oh, bloody terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Just hit everything that was out there, <laughs> including the wall. <laughs> and then realised that. Oh, where do you get these things around corners? Oh, okay. So you put a smaller wheel on the inside or you, you know, you have um, stagger, you have cross weights and, you know, it all took off from there and learning mm. that, you know, you can actually make the car do a bit of 
that worked for you. So big learning process. <laughs> Speedway is a, is such a um, a great way, and I'm going to say it's it, it it appeals to all people. But country towns, you go through any decent sized country town, and they've got a speedway nearby. Like you, you're you're from Carrumbarra, Nyora is just up the hill. You've done mm-hmm. really well to tow the thing out of uh, Carrumbarra and get up those bloody hills to get to Nyora. So you've had a half decent tow car, or you, you've stolen one off someone. But um, it, what did um, I guess now? all those years later, what was the joy of Speedway that, that kept you going? Because you did it for quite a few years. Yeah, I did it for about 11 years, but it's all, to be honest, Darren, it's all you could afford. I mean, I'd go down to the local Carnborough tip and take all these parts, I was saying, out of out of cars. You know, there was a HR Holden down there one day. I got excited because it had the wider diff in it, so I just unbolted it. There was a Triumph Herald. It used to have a, like a coilover... Um, small coilover suspension in it and I knew there was one of them down there so we go through the stack of cars and get all these bits and pieces and I started racing on winter tread tyres that I got from the Caramara tip so that was like that was all you could do or, or not race you know and then it kind of progressed from there obviously where I made wheels and got some old you know racing rubber and Went on to Melbourne to race at the um, Melbourne Speed Bowl, you know. So it just was just a process, and the process, I guess, it wasn't a matter of what made me do that. It was what we could afford, you know. Where, I couldn't afford to drive much for tow a vehicle much further than Nyora. <laughs> so when did the first race win come? First race win, Gary. Yeah, um, it would have been at Nyora because we got we got it sorted down there in the end, and we were winning. You know, geez, I've told this story to many that I went down there one day and I won the whole three races and picked up the uh, little envelope with the prize money and I took, I think there was two or three of us back to the Carnborough Chinese to shout them um, dinner for helping me out for the day, my brother and two others. And, yeah, it was, um, it used to be three, two and one, three for a win and two for second, a dollar for third. So I won $9 for the day and end up nearly sending myself broke in China. <laughs> 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 yeah. Had these little sashes and I'm thinking, when I open this envelope, you know, there's going to be 50 bucks in there, but nah. Anyhow. <laughs> it would have it been nice old $1 folding too, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? None of these uh, gold coins. It would have been proper cash cash, wouldn't it? Yeah, it was cash. Yeah. yeah. You drive up to the... While you're still in your race car, you used to drive around to the rostrum and park there, and the fella would hand you in the envelope. <laughs> now, I had three of them in me, just stuffed into me. I'm thinking, how good is this? this is an easy way to make money. <laughs> <laughs> Until you've seen how much you got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, didn't get. <laughs> uh, it's funny, but yeah. And then, I, yeah, like I said, I went on to do you know, a lot of racing Saturday night at the Speed Bowl and then to Redline, Ballarat. Um, and and did you, did, was this the same car or did you build other cars along the way or know, other we, classes and things? No, I stayed in the same class through my dirt career, if you want to call it that, but we built other cars. I built maybe two others, I think. Um, John Sidney got involved with the last car, which was a, an old sprint car frame that he had. Um, 
and we had torsion bars and, you know, a bit of nice trick suspension in it. That was when it started to, you know, um, start costing a fair bit of money. I had um, a fellow by the name of Mike Exel build an engine for me for the first time that I used to just throw them together at home myself. But so all of a sudden that last period of the speedway was, yeah, what would you call a fairly expensive machine? Yeah, I tell you what, Mike's had a, a few decades uh, building engines for Terry Wyhoon, hasn't he? He has, yeah. I reckon he used me as a guinea pig a few times because some of them used to go like hell for about, oh, if it, say if it was an eight-lap final, I reckon about seven laps. Yeah. <laughs> 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 hmm. I, I like the actual reference to a Triumph Herald. You know, from a, a country boy from Currumbara, Triumph Herald uh, is coilovers to you. To me, it's the afternoon newspaper. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so yeah. It is. It's all. Uh, it's all different. Uh, you know, different horses for different courses. Yep. Terry, yep. the 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 dirt track stuff. Obviously, you know, my question to you was, where did it start? That's where it started. It, it obviously engrossed you for over a decade. What was it that that got you to look out over the fence of this of the the dirt track speedway and and look to what was going on at Calder with uh, with Bob Jane and the Thunderdome? Well, it's funny. I've got a photo somewhere of my little Bedford van with me last Speedway car on the back of it. On our way to Warrnambool, we called in to see what all this hoorah was about this Thunderdome and we had it parked in the middle and I stood there and watched the Oscar race, which was on the Saturday. And I thought, geez, this looks all right. It's sort of Speedway, except it's not getting mud on you anymore. Um, had a quick look at the cars which sparked a bit of interest. That was on our way to Warrnambool for the last Speedway race I ever did. So um, then I made some inquiries about this Oscar category and to see if it was at all doable financially-wise. And we um, sold a dirt car, bought an old Commodore and, yeah, started on that program. I have extremely fond memories of watching you wobble down pit lane for your – must have been your first time – and uh, the Oz car was, you know, it was in its very early days. And uh, you came down pit lane and there was this race car with a number on the side and no stickers on it. And I remember going over to, uh, might have been Peter Nelson or Jeff Bull and going, we've got to, we've got to put some stickers on this car. And uh, we, we used to, every time you'd go out, we'd just stick another car club sticker on your car and uh, send, oh, send yeah. it out onto the track. It was yep. uh, yep. uh, Sean Scott and I used to stand at pit exit there and control the pit exit, and it was like, oh, here comes Terry again. He's got no stickers on it. We better start sticking some, sticking some stickers on his car. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I mean, I didn't understand what it meant trying to go out and find, you know, um, sponsorship. If you want to call it that? Oh, you didn't get anything from us. We just put stickers on your car. No, I know. I understand that. Thank you. <laughs> Made the car look better. But, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Bob Jane used to pay us enough money if you finished the race to cover what it cost me. So mm. that was one of his downfalls, I feel. You know, like, yeah, you when you used to get paid and then, you know, we didn't bother chasing sponsorship. We just, I ran the car off what I used to make. Um, and how was the transition from dirt to tarmac or bitumen? It, was, it wasn't bad. I mean, as much as I... Also tore some cars up in the early days there, Gary. It was, it was quite a, the two were quite um, the same as far as making the car go around the corner. You know, cross weights and all the black art of going around in the circle that applied to dirt applied 
very similar to the Thunderdome, which I found out we got the car working well. And then all the road course guys that were there early days, um, your Peter Fitzgeralds, Greg Hansford, um, quite a few came to us um, trying to work out how could you get a car to handle? Because coming from those guys coming from production car racing, you know, had no idea about what you did to make a car go around in circles properly. So um, it worked good. And, yeah, we were pretty much, you know, two or three meetings in, we were, you know, quite competitive. Interesting because we've spoken to Mel Rose and he came out of that Commodore Classic series with the alloy cage car and um, the, the Janes had spoken him to come down from Sydney and join in with it. And he, he went out there with a car that, with all four doors that would open being a, being an ex production car and mm. uh, soon realized pretty quickly because the Americans walked up and said, what, why, uh, you know, they're looking over from a NASCAR situation and gone, why do all four doors open on this thing? What are you, what are you up to? Mm. Mate? Mm. And, mm. and Mel, Mel was reasonably successful in the car, the car out of service car at the Thunderdome in the early days too. Yeah, he was, he was, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of those names, isn't it? I'd forgotten about him. He was, he was quite handy in everything he drove. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and did that. So tell us about getting, you know, getting on the, the Thunderdome. It was some pretty heady days there in Australian motorsport with the Thunderdome with, uh, you know, night racing came in. Um, you had some massive competition, particularly in your championship year in 96, the, the likes of John Faulkner, Steve Richards, Brad Jones, Steve Harrington, all these names were, you know, were pushing. And I'm, I don't know. I don't know what the high watermark of the Thunderdome was. It always seemed to the real level kept raising as people sure. got more awareness. So tell mm. us about tell us about the battles on the Thunderdome. About about you know heading into turn one and trying to actually control the car without it just going smack <laughs> onto the bump stops. Well, I, you know, it did go smack onto the bump stop a couple of times, but after that, you learn. And um, we had a. We had it fairly sorted. We were very lucky. Um, the fellow that used to have the motorbike across the road um, in Hawkins Street that raced dirt speedway, he came and helped me for years, and he had an understanding of making the car work. So, and I, and to be honest, Darren, I didn't know half of these other people, so they didn't intimidate me at all. You know, Brad Jones, John Faulkner, who are they? They're just like us. Let's go. And in the end, you know, like it was. You know, they all came to me and made friends with me. It wasn't the other way around. So I was quite chuffed that, you know, and I find out all these guys' backgrounds and I'm thinking, holy shit, we're not doing too bad after all. <laughs> so, yeah, we stuck to ourselves and just just did it, you know, and um, had, a, had a lot of success along the way. It was great. And the racing was intense, you know. I mean, you know, John Faulkner, Harrington, though, as I found out, very handy steerers. Um, Brad Jones always seemed to have the edge over us in technology because every time he wanted something in the car, he'd go and see Bob. And I don't know whether they were related or whether they were just good friends. I think Brad's dad and Bob got along. So just without any consultation with any other teams, they just redesigned something and then we'd find out about it later. Um so no wonder Brad did so well down there. No, that's, but I kept, 
I keep telling Brad that I was voted number one at the Dome, not him. Every time I see him, he gets his shits on a bit. <laughs> There's not a lot of difference between Jones and Jane, is there? It's just one yeah. vowel in the in the second letter of the surname. So who knows what they what they do? It's, it's typical of. Um, oh, it's not one make, but it's nearly a one make thing. What you were doing there, that in those sort of series, that always someone had an edge, didn't they? Yeah. Oh, for sure. And some of the stuff that, you know, you, we started with a controlled spring package that I can't remember who made, Quadrant or something, which was fine. But then when Brad went and put a different coil over and a different shock and then came up in spring rate, um, just to turn this call from supercars off. Um, <laughs> who are they? <laughs> so that's the kind of pull we've yeah. got, Gaz. That's the kind of pull we've got. <laughs> Uh, that's the kind of pool you've got. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Supercars, off uh, you go. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, you could you could um, get an edge for sure in in the cars and there were considerable differences. And then you had Marshall Brewer come along. He was very smart, clever with his hands. He built some nice suspension stuff and it was, it was going ahead at a rate of knots and probably not the same playing field for everyone, but we managed to... Keep kicking along with them. Certainly the engine builders came to the fore as well. The likes of Les Small and John Sidney, yep. those guys, you know, like it was different levels of, of engines that would come out of those sort of workshops. And there was there was others. I'm not going to highlight those as being the, the top end of town, but certainly some of those names, you know, like um, Les had yep. come off winning Bathurst with, with Grice and um, mm-hmm. you know, carried a, a strong reputation and has done ever since. Um 96, your championship year in Oscar, I touched on that. That was a hard year. Like, you had to work you had to work very hard to win that title. Yeah, we did. And fortunately enough, we had a little bit of support that year, or a lot of support from Bob and from BP. So um, we managed to develop the car, buy, get Les to build our engines, make sure we had the best engines in the paddock, you know. So that was the um, VN BP car care um, entry, wasn't it? In the championship car was a VS. VS, okay, yep. Yep, yep, yep. BP car care. Yep. Um, Bob Jane, did... T-Mart's across the, the front of it. Yes. Yep. 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 So Bob tell, tell, us about, tell us about Bob and getting, you know, getting some support from him. I mean, he, he owned the joint, he owned the series. He could have, you know, he could have thrown support anywhere. He didn't. He was pretty selective with people he did support. How, how did that come about? Yeah. He he just rang me up one day and said, I want to have a meeting with you. Offered me um, appearance money. I think it was called back then um, to keep coming. And I said, well, I'm keeping coming anyway. And, you know, um, yeah, it was good because he supported a few people. I think Steve Harrington and maybe John Faulkner a bit at the time. So, and it certainly helped us because I could get the good engines and, you know, none of that stuff obviously cheap. So, and, you know, the further we went up the field, the more money we made, prize money. So, so you won you won the Oscar Championship and you obviously went, well, the, the next big thing is is NASCAR. And mm-hmm. um, you moved with BP into into NASCAR as well and got a yep. couple of seconds in championships there as, as well. The, mm-hmm. the switch from going, I guess, uh, what was it? Uh, clockwise versus clockwise. anti-clockwise on the Thunderdome. Did that yeah. did that change much, or was it just equally uh, equated over? Uh, no, I actually, to be honest, I always felt more comfortable going clockwise in the Oscar, but 
after a while, you know, you obviously got used to it. I'd not been the other way. Um, Bob was the one, Bob and Steve Betts, he's the manager out there at the time, was they were the two people that convinced me to go NASCAR. They wanted to see, you know, the current Oscar champion go in and Bob had offered some tyres and more support to make the NASCAR um, transition. So um, that's how that um, transpired. Now, how it's did funny the car asking, come about? How, how did you, like, you did, did you have to go to the States to get a car or was a car bought out here for you to look at or how did that happen? No, I, um, along our Oscar journey, Gary, if you like, I'd met some people from America because I always used to wander over and have a look at the Americans' NASCARs and what they were doing in between Oscar racing. And I met a fellow by the name of John Nissen who brought out to Australia, Morgan Shepherd and Jerry Bowers, maybe one or two other drivers. He used to come out every Christmas at least and do the, the big race. So I contacted him, see if he had any cars available and flew over and met with him. And he had a, um, geez, I'm trying to think of the year of it, maybe a 92 Thunderbird that I bought off him. And you know, everything to run it and spares and whatnot, packed it all in a container and brought it back home. Um, that's that's the first NASCAR. That's in, how it that started. In, in modern terms, so I'm saying 2023 racing terms and when you bought that in 92, the investment to buy that and, and versus now, was it was it steep? Was it as, you know, it's it's expensive in given the era and given what you were probably able to earn or pay for? Was it was it was it big dollars? Were you going into great duress to do that? Well, I was fortunate enough that the championship when an Oscar had a couple of people after it, so we got pretty good money for that one, and that pretty much bought the NASCAR. There wasn't a hell of a lot of, to find. Um, there was a lot more to run it, but as I said, Bob was helping us out, and BP Carcare was still on board. So, yeah, we we made it work which was, yeah, it wasn't too difficult at the time. With your transition into NASCAR, that was probably the peak of it here in Australia, wasn't it, where there was you, Faulkner, Jones, the, the, that trio sort of lifted the level. Uh, it's probably not the right word, but we had Gricey who did Charlotte or qualified for Charlotte and uh, Terry Byers and a couple of other guys, but it sort of lifted locally when you guys got involved. Do you agree with that? Yeah, it was, it was pretty competitive then, Gary, and Jim Richards was another one that was there when I made me transition in there. So it was Jim and Kim and I and um, the other fellow from Western Australia used to go quite well, um, uh, Neville Lance. Yep. He was he was quite fast. Uh, Max, Max Dumsney. Oh, yeah, of course. It was, yeah. It was, yeah, she was full on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that sort of led Max and and Valvoline with John Sydney into a into a supercars, uh, yeah, birth, didn't it? That's right. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah yep. absolutely. Yep. In the well, yep. early days in early days in in supercars. Tell us about yep. um about driving a NASCAR, the the physicality of it, the the mental process of going out and and running because they weren't short races, and and a lot of them in your time were at night as well. Yeah. Isn't that funny? I mean, we talk about that now because of all the cool suits and drink bottles and helmet fans and all this stuff that we go through in these cars today. 
I'm trying to think whether I had a drink bottle in the NASCAR at all. I definitely didn't have a cool suit or... You would have had a drink after it, though. Have a drink after it, absolutely. (laughs) I remember um, there was a guy in the first first race that American came out and he had a packet of Winston Siggies um, taped to the cage and under caution, he'd have a cigarette... And I remember, Beautiful. I remember the old man getting all wound up about it with his cams hat on, and there was um, trying to remember Al Baznight, the um, the American yeah. race director, said, "What are you getting wound up about? That is the sponsor's product he's smoking in the car, like he's the first for the ciggies." And it was, and I remember the, all the cams hierarchy going, "You can't do that!" And and Al Baznight went, "Shut up, you can." Yeah, but the yeah. cams didn't yeah. have any say over they it didn't, anyway. They did not. No, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's true. No, I mean, I honestly, I never used to think about it. I didn't have time to. The time we got the car prepped and got out there, and the yeah, you know, the people we were racing against, I didn't have time to think about whether I was hot or thirsty. <laughs> it was just was it a big it. big step up in performance as well from Oz car to the NASCAR? Maybe not so much on a on a on a Thunder Day, but perhaps at, at a road course, it'd be a fair bit different. Yeah, yeah, it was Gary. I mean that. Yeah, they were, they were big, heavy, powerful cars. So mm. yeah, it was a lot different. I mean the, the the uh, Oscar you could throw around. And it was like, yeah, riding a small motorbike compared with hopping onto a, you know, a five hundred sort of thing. This thing it was it got your attention. And I'm, I think we used to do over three hundred kilometers an hour out there on that front straight at the Thunderdome. You know, it's fast. depending on which way. Yeah, same speed as they go down Conroy, bit bit more. Would you would you then, like to jump in an NASCAR again and do some laps somewhere on a on a nice you know smooth speedway oh, without bumps and humps in it? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I was talking to Rowan Harmon the other day. I'm gonna. I still want to take, um, me son Ryan out and show him the Thunder Dome. He's sitting running around the road car, but mm. I'd like to have a look at the track and see what it's like. Yeah. Oh, maybe we can have a word to Rowan as well, and uh, he's been a guest on the podcast as well, Terry. So we'll uh, we'll all we'll all head out there together, and you can all take us around for a lap, eh? Perfect. Yeah, it's good oh, to me. It? Be pretty good. Yeah, yeah. If they had something that's still lying around, we could use. <laughs> it's funny though. Just before just before we um, started our podcast, a fella, um, I'm just trying to think of his name, rang me, literally as I was driving home and um he said to me i bought your first nascar oh wow really? first yeah for, you know like half an hour ago yeah. are you talking that thunderbird that you, you bought over from the states yeah, yeah? Mm-hmm. yep he said it's the one you bought in from yeah john listen wow because there's, there's a bit of a stock car scene sort of starting to emerge again now in australia isn't there oh it's been not... slowly slowly emerging very slowly okay yeah i've heard a little bit about it but yeah, the, um, the the of course they're running on road courses only these days. So that's the next question. Your first road course race? Well, we've always done speedway. Yeah, that was different. So I did a my first road course race was actually in my '96 championship Oscar year. Bob ran a race, Peter Brock Classic. That's right. Ah, yes, he Colder. did too. Yeah, yeah. At Calder, yeah. And um, so I went out there with Steve Harrington and Jim Richards, I think, prior to that and did some practice. And they helped me with the road course side of things. 
they hopped in the car with me and I drove a lap and they shook their head and <laughs> said, this is what you got to do. So I did that one, I reckon I did two days, one with Harrington and one with Jim and went back to that road course race and we won it. One, I think there was two races on the night. So I yeah, think uh, Daryl of... Eastlake got up on the uh, mic a fair bit over that, didn't he? While that was yes, on. That's right. Yeah. Mm, yeah. He used to get excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, there was a road course race in that year. And yeah, in the NASCAR, though, that was different because remember, I think my first road course race NASCAR was at the Grand Prix. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Melbourne Grand Prix. Yeah, because yeah, the NASCARs yeah. were on there on the the first uh, first year, absolutely. Yeah, Bob did a deal with Ron Walker, and you know, as Bob does, you know, can't put NASCAR at the Grand Prix. He said, "Yeah, watch me." So, <laughs> and, and that was good. Those cars were actually good to drive on road course. I I felt we did a, a Bathurst race in that first year of NASCAR. Actually, yeah, um, I was that the one Ingle one or who won? Yes, 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 Ingle won it. Yep. Yeah, we were. I was standing on pit lane with um, Derek Warwick and John Cleland, and Derek hadn't seen the cars before, and they're coming down oh, yeah. pit lane, head out, and he looked at John and he said, "I want one of those. They're great." <laughs> mm. And and John mm. had done test laps at Texas Speedway in one, and he was telling him how good they were. Yep. Good yep. conversation. Great conversation. Yeah, yeah. No, that would be very interesting from those yeah. guys. But yeah, yeah. No, we they were good. No, they were very nice cars. I remember Jim went out and did some promo there prior to that event, and he did like a, oh, I'm going to say a 15 or something at the time. Just you know, closed track promo day, and yep. he said, "Oh, the car, the car will do a 12 or something." And that's all the supercars were doing about then. Yeah, they they weren't far off what they were doing. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. so Terry, the, no, that, the, the speedway good. thing has has you know brought you to the racetrack, and you know, as my first question to you, that's what sort of got you introduced. You you went around to the Thunderdome, and then some flat track stuff. Unfortunately for everyone involved, the Thunderdome closed, um, and you obviously still wanted to go racing, and had many many contacts, and still running TNG mechanical repairs. I'm reading straight off your jumper now. Um, down uh -huh. in, in Carimbara, there's uh, there's all of that, there's all of that going on. Um, what was it that then sparked you? What took you off into um, into into circuit racing? Well, what took me to circuit racing was the fact that Bob stopped racing at Calder. Otherwise, yep. I'd still be there today. I mean, I had no interest in going circuit racing. Um, I loved me NASCAR racing to the point that you know I went and did did a small race over in a uh, modified car for John Nissen on an oval in California and went quite well in it. And, you know, we were talking about other opportunities and then all of a sudden, you know, Bob suggests that he's not going to be doing any racing in what year was it when it closed? 1999. 99. Yeah. 99. Yeah. Said 2000, we're not going to be doing it. And I went, really? You know, had good, good sponsors and, so I'd be still there or still involved in that style of racing over what we do today, if you like. But there was no options. I mean, fortunately enough, someone started a road course NASCAR for 
series and I happened to sell the car, which was good. And when they talked about that Konica series, which is now the Dunlop series, I said, well, I suppose we'll go and have a look at that. Um, I wanted to still drive something, but there was really nothing out without going back to dirt speedway. So we'll, we'll have a look at this Konica series. Just which was before we you move on, didn't at around about the same time as the Thunderdome closed, didn't Bob take you to Japan to drive something speedway in Japan? Was that, yeah. that right? Yeah, I got that took, mixed up. No, no. So that would have been, we had one more, we went to Japan in either 98 or 99. You were racing against the Americans there, weren't you? Wasn't that a yes. full on full on NASCAR deal? I mean, you and Jimmy yep. and and, uh, and Kim Jane. Yeah. Yep. Um, he he transported the cars over. We went over there and and run at Motegi. I lost an engine, but um, great event, great opportunity, all paid for by Coca Cola and Honda. Um, and I think yeah, remember, and Jim Jim went quite well, didn't he? Did he yeah, win? Did. He win or no, no, he top didn't three or something well. like that. Top two, maybe. Gary, it's stretching my memory. Yeah, I know yeah. you did really well. It sort of, yeah, Americans sort of took notice straight away. Mm. I think. Oh yeah, and I think Jim had already gone with Dick Mingley and done a road course event as well. Oh, I was thinking. Yeah. I was thinking of the road course event. Yeah, this is a big oval. Oh, okay. Yeah. Actually, yeah. you know what, Jim? Jim didn't didn't go to Motegi. No, he went. No. I had him doing the uh, the road course event the year before. Then. Yep, he went Which to he Sonoma. Went... I think in California, and he went somewhere. He may have. Been, Dick Midgley was from Canada, and yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Jim did a race in the States, I reckon Sonoma, the same as Dick so, Johnson. Yeah, so Barry did Barry Graham go over for those as well? Because he ended up to America or to Motegi? Oh, to America. Because uh, he set up a driving yeah. school at Charlotte, he didn't that, he? He did, he did. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yep, he set up that um, Richard Petty driving school. Yep, so there's been a few. Terry Best went, didn't he, to Daytona? Um, he possibly, Robin Best. Yeah, yeah, probably Robin Best, the guy from um, he's got the yeah, hotel right. Terry on Byers, you may be thinking of. Oh, Terry Byers, maybe he, he and Gricey went to Charlotte, and Terry yeah. missed out, but Gricey got in, yeah, in qualifying. Tell us about Motegi. I mean, taking NASCAR to the to the Japanese with with a an Aussie from uh, Karanbara to. To go there, I mean, you, you you said you lost an engine. How far did you get into the event before that occurred? Oh, geez, it wasn't far, Darren. I think we did about twenty or thirty laps of like a hundred and fifty lap race, but well supported by, um, like crowd wise, the Americans had been there. Mainly Winston West had been there the year before, so um, really nice facility, you know, five star motel in the in the, like they do over there, um, so. Yeah, no, it was very well received from the locals. Big event. Um, it was just a shame that we had the engine problem. But, um, yeah, good experience, that's for sure. Drank a lot of assays. <laughs> As you do. Um, As you do. Now, now, just moving on, uh, you had a taste at Bathurst in 99 when you did the uh, 300 race at the uh, Super Touring event. 
which was a bit dismal because it rained throughout the whole lot of it, not just rained, it bucketed down. Yes. Was that 99? 99 <laughs> with Bruce Williams. Oh, yeah, yes. It was the one that um, James Brock was declared to win, yep. but the whole race was basically behind a safety car, wasn't it? Memory? That's right. Yes, yes. I was there with Marshall Brewer in Bruce's car. Mm. The original future tour he built, him and Brock. Yeah. Geez, that's... Yeah, I forgot about that race. <laughs> well, yeah. it's, it was totally forgettable. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> but at least you got some practice laps in and all in the lead-up. I guess that uh, must tick something off. Terry, you know yeah. Gary closes his eyes and it's all written on the on his eyelids, don't you? So all these <laughs> oh, stories he's written over the years, it just <laughs> comes back to him a rapid recall. Yeah, yeah. It must do because I'd clearly forgotten about that one. So, yeah. So ninety nine, yeah, the, the Thunderdome, the Thunderdome's closed. You, you, you're looking at the Fujitsu series. Um, I mean, I look back at what you've done on flat track racing or circuit racing, and and you've got some amazing results. Um, you know, it might not have, you may not sort of feel like that, but certainly there's some championships and some wins and things along the way there. You, mm-hmm. You're drawn into circuit racing. You've spent the last, let's say, twenty three years um, involved half of it or more than half of it as a driver talk talk to us about going you know that early early um conica series racing yeah well the biggest problem we had is when cola closed not nowhere really for the cars to go to get reasonable money for them so the the reason i make that point we bought this car off um peter lawrence an old vr commodore that had a five-speed gearbox in it, had an engine in it that was no good, but we set off to do the the Conica series, it was called then. Um, started at Eastern Creek in 2000, and, yeah, it was just terrible, the car. I didn't know, after all that journey of Dirt Speedway and the Thunderdome, I didn't know a hell of a lot still about road racing. Um, so it was like starting again, if you like. Um you know, and I eventually had to get a motor built for that car, buy a six-speed for it and put different shocks in it. And, yeah, just 2000 was a bloody year that I'd rather forget because I'm thinking, God, we just got to tip money in and we're starting again. You know, we're doing a lot more travel. Um, so, yeah, I think, I don't know whether I ran that car just for one year or two, but I ended up buying a Dick Johnson EL Felton and that was that was a really nice car. Um, and I think we that's how this other program sort of started because we ended up with two cars there before we sold one. Someone wanted to lease the Commodore and, you know, all of a sudden we've gone, okay, we can get something for this young kid to have a drive in the Commodore. I'm running the Falcon. And, yeah, that's kind of where we started looking after people, maybe with a second car, if you like. Do you remember who that was? I reckon the first person that leased a car office was Graham Crawford. Yeah, okay. Okay. So um yeah. did some Commodore Cup racing as well, Graham did, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah, okay. So and then, you know, like from there we were buying and selling and trying to upgrade cars and in that in know, that end of that two thousand year, did you did you look left or right and go, 
Oh, look, they're still doing sprint cars. There's still a world of, of speedway beckoning, or it was it beckoning, or were you had you closed the door on on that? Because there's still some massive yeah. names and 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 Max is still doing speedway, you know, like a, mm, there's some longevity mm. longevity there. Yeah, I don't know what attracted me to to the circuit racing there and then and why I didn't, you know, revisit Dirt Speedway. Um like I said, I I think when I looked at the Thunderdome that first time and that there was no mud flying and thinking, Jesus, cars you could keep clean. Don't have to wash them after every round. <laughs> don't have to wash them, yeah. Um, I don't really have an answer for you there. I sort of jumped in and bought this bloody Commodore and um, off we went. I also felt that maybe with the TV package I had at the time, I started thinking about, you know, getting sponsors on board, which... You know, we had little bits and pieces along the way, whereas Dirt Speedway always struggled, I find, to get get supporters, get partners. So, yeah, um, off we went in that direction. Yeah, and indeed off you went, and you, you're still there. Um, mm, and 150 rounds later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, well, you'd have to be one of the longest-serving um, supercar team's owners. Yeah, well, that's what they said the other day at Townsville. That I was, I'd been there the longest. Um, they had me on the cones there on, on the broadcast. But you're Sunday the senior Townsville. statesman of the development series. Yeah, apparently, sense? apparently, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Twenty three years and one hundred and fifty meetings. They pointed out. I suggested they had their numbers wrong because it feels like a lot more than that, Gary. <laughs> and and the, good, the good thing is, Gary, off the back of that, Terry's still got a sense of humour when many at that top end of the sport just don't oh, anymore. Well, <laughs> at least he's approachable at a race meeting. Some, oh, of, the right. <laughs> some, some <laughs> of the best <laughs> approaches I've made of race drivers and team owners have been Terry under the back of a car with the stink of uh, of diff oil all over his arms. And he looks mm-hmm. up at you and goes, oh, Darren, I've got a few things on right now, but yeah, I'll talk yeah. to you if you, can, if you can bend down and look and talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can you piss off right now and yeah, yeah. come back later? No, no, I haven't got time, mate. I've got to go and call a race. So you need to tell me what you're doing and you need to get <laughs> yeah. it done right now. Yeah. yeah, I don't know that it's changed a lot as much as I have. You know, I think I think my wife, Dana, said there was 14 of us now that travel to run the cars and I seem to be still under the car doing something. So, yeah. It's that dead yeah. oil smell. You, you just can't get enough that, of it. That's what it is. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Terry, your success in circuit racing took a few years to come. Um, certainly, Gary and I were fortunate enough to be sort of in on the ground level with what became the the Kumo Tires V8 Touring Car era, and it, I guess, with a smallish field of cars, but with some pretty heavy hitters that you know, like yourself and Smurdo, and uh, there were you know many other names that sort of came through. You had some success in in some ex Stone Brothers equipment that you you and your image racing team as it became known talk us about how image came along um and 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 that early era of what is now i guess it's called super three or whatever whatever that's sort of morphed into but you were right there on the ground level with that yeah we were um i think we did a few years of the conica series and we looked at that series the kumo series and um, we'd had a good relationship with Ross and Jim Stone. We'd bought a couple of cars at this stage and started to understand what makes these things go good. So we got in, well, I think maybe, was it 2011 I won that championship? Yeah, 2011 yeah. was. 
yeah, I had a Stone Brothers car which worked really good, and um, I think yeah, I think we um, won a few races that year. You won um, ten out of the fifteen races. Oh yeah, okay. Well, that was pretty there good. Go. Going. Yeah. Um, I reckon it was a good series, and at the time, much more affordable than the um whatever it was at the time, Fujitsu, Konica, yeah, series. Development series. Yeah. yeah. Um, and my wife and um, her father, um, we decided it was time for a change of name, so um, they came up with the image racing. Um, so a change of image, a, so to speak. Change of image. Don't know whether it was a good image, bad image, just image. So, yeah, that's how that all come about. And off we went running that series for a bit. I know that um, the first year we were at Ballar for the first round, then we went to Simmons Plains. We had four cars down there. For oh, the yes. Second round. Yep. You remember mm -hmm. that? And one was only going because you put it on your transporter, I think, from memory. Yep. So yep. Well, it could have only been three. Mm. Then we ended up at Winton a couple of years later with 21. Yeah. And mm. I think um, the late Dean Neville won a race at that meeting, memory serves yes. me right, uh, racing against he Tony Evangelou. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He did. He drove well, actually, Dean. Yeah. He bought a car off Brad Jones, um, which I ran for him. Yeah. And some days he'd tell me I'm doing a good job and other days he'd tell me other things. <laughs> <laughs> that with, the Dean, tooth, no? with the tooth in or with the tooth out? In the front there yeah. Head. I don't know. I wasn't going to look. <laughs> I've never seen him upset and he's had, he's had reason to be, but I've never seen him upset. No, he's never been upset with me, but he just told me if, if he came second, it was always my fault. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that brings up another um, great drive from... One of your cars was Owen Kelly's Oran Park effort in the wet. Yeah, well, that was Dean Neville's car. That, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. You want to tell us a bit about how that, like he um, had to start from pit lane. Yeah. Did. So that that BJR car had an alternator on the diff, which means if the car's not moving, it's not charging. So you get a day like it was, you know, it's piss and rain. You've got wipers going. You've got heated screens going. Yep. And all it's doing is draining the battery. You can't even start the car and do well, you could start the car and any normal car you'd start, it's putting some charge in the battery while you've got all those accessories running, but not that car. And Owen flattened it on the on the grid. So we had to push start him, come around the pit lane to prove that he could, you know, start so it'd recharge enough for him to be able to start it off the yeah, well, I, I nosed him into the garage and we put it up on stands and I told him, we'll jumpstart it, put it in gear. We took the jump pack off and to drive it as fast as you can, you know, so it's putting some charge in the battery. And um, and then, yeah, Frank Lowndes is standing there and it kind of half started and Frank gave us the nod to start from pit lane and, um, yeah, took off out of pit lane and, did the old classic go-kart line, drove around the outside of everyone and won the race. <laughs> it was but, one of the really memorable uh, development series races, that one. Yeah. That night I don't want to remember because we went back to Dean's to celebrate. And I think I was crook for a week. <laughs> drinking red wine. 
<laughs> I might have been petrol fumes or something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Wasn't. Yeah. That's what you tell them. <laughs> yeah. jump, jump forward many, many years, and I'm just going to go to the, straight to the 2023 Island Classic. You drove Dean's um, Camaro at at Phillip Island. Um, you've still got that. You've still got that car in your shed. Uh, did I drive it at Phillip Island? That's what the results no. say. No, that might have been the Calder, uh, the Winton meeting, Winton Historic, Winton so Historic last year. When uh, you, the year Dean passed away, was only we were prepping that car for that Winton round, and um, so it was only like two or three weeks after. Yeah, and Dean's wife asked me to drive. What was I interested in driving it at Winton? Yep. And I'd never driven that car before that. I'd only prepped it for Dean, which is, yeah, quite bizarre because when I first drove it in practice, I thought, you got to be kidding me. This is the worst thing I've ever driven in my life. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's – anyhow, that's apparently what an old Group NC Mustang, uh, Mustang Camaro feels like. So, yeah, it was quite – yeah. It was a well, you've been used I mean, to driving supercars, so it's a whole right. different ball game. Yeah, it didn't steer and it didn't break and it didn't do anything. But we ended up winning the um, event and um, Dean's wife got the trophy for it. So, yeah, it's quite fitting. Terry, you, you touched on that the 2011 championship year driving a Stone Brothers car that fettled by you guys, tuned by you guys and, and made to win races. And it was um, that was well and truly at the height of what was the Kumo Tyres uh, V8 Touring Car series at the time and there was some really really good racing going on for five or yep. six rounds a year you i guess took the helmet off and said that's it for terry for a full-time racing career or, or chasing championships etc etc mm -hmm. and have pretty much focused now on being a team owner um and and running a a business at the yep. very front end you've got some exceptional partners that you've been able to join up with in the you know in the main game and help your journey along how is the the terry wyhoon that, that used to race dirt track then then ovals and then circuit racing and versus the terry wyhoon now that you know sits up and goes god i have to get some money in to pay for all of this is is it the same bloke because you've still got the same attitude towards it all yeah 100 100 yeah um yeah i don't I don't, um, I'd still like to go and have a skid in the car. There's no doubt about that. Um, I think mainly why I got into that side of it though, Darren, was that given the kids opportunities that, you know, um, we feel we try and do the right thing as far as, you know, helping them commercially, try and get some support, um, you know, because I, for one, understand how hard it is and, you know, things are a lot more expensive now than they've ever been, obviously. So just getting, giving them the, these kids an opportunity to um, to get into the sport, you know, um, some are good, some are busting their ass to get in there and they'll do anything. They're the ones we want to help. Um, so that's a bit of a shot in the arm for me to see them come in and do good if you can help them along their journey. Um, but nothing's really changed for me. I'm still, like I said, I'm, I love... I prefer getting under the car and working on the car than talking to someone for sponsorship. Um, 
Or a rat so, bag commentator chasing you down the back or of the a commentator. garage. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All part of it, apparently. Um, Remember that next time. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be even more dogged at chasing you underneath the car. Yeah, exactly. It's been a while, um, but I'll, I will certainly do it. Good, good. Now, Fair Terry, the, the, the other thing is that um, in the you know, bubbling away in the background over the last few years has been the next generation, Whitehorn Races, coming along. Tell us about the the journey with um you know with with your boy and um and going racing with his life. Yeah, well, I mean, I got him in the karting when he was probably five or six. Just you know, I said to Dana, my wife, that you know he can sharpen up his reflexes. Um, it teaches him how to drive. It's good skills that you know um, for when later on down the track when he's driving out on the road. Um, not pushing him with no intentions of him to really take this up as a as a career. <laughs> and yeah. Deep pockets for that one. <laughs> Four, yeah, exactly. That's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. Four go-karts later. And now he's got a little RAV4 that he burns around the paddock, you know, practicing heel and toe. And um, you know, he's told Barry Ryan that since Barry's joined him in the Erebus Academy group that He's going to be his next supercar driver. Um, three weeks ago when we had lunch with Richard Childress in America, he told Richard that he'd be driving NASCAR for him one day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know where it's all going to end, but like you say, I'm not sure who's going to pay for it. He's got his own little, for the first time just last week, his sponsorship proposal put together and he's going to go out and, Make it work, he tells me. Yeah. So to talk a bit about you were telling me last year, I think, when you went over to the States and you did a bit of karting over there with yeah. some of those, off, like the, the next generation of NASCAR drivers, I guess you'd call it, and yeah. um, and the feedback that you got out of all that. Yeah, it was good. So we went to go, a place called GoPro Motorplex. I think it's called um, Trackhouse Motor, Motorplex now. But the main go-kart track in Mooresville where all the NASCAR kids rock up. The school bus drops them off at 3.30 at the track. <laughs> their their tutors have already got the carts out and they're warmed up. Uh, Ryan raced, I think, against um, McMurray's boy and Harvick's boy. Um, so we did, we did two race meetings there, one a few days after we arrived with a test day and there was a bit, I don't know, 20-something in it, and he was maybe one or two spots off the back. And then a month later, we did the same event again with another two or three test days with some help from some engineers from RCR, and he finished 10th. So just shows you what... It's on the up. So, yeah, yeah. So good, good for him, good experience. I mean, imagine having that. He was... How old was he when he did that? 12, 11 or 12. So, yeah, a lot of opportunities, isn't there, when you yeah. imagine that back in my day when I was, I didn't start <laughs> racing until I was 17. So, mm. Oh, well, he'll be widely experienced by the time he gets to that age. Um, yeah, just going to hark will... back quickly to um, one of your best races. I think it was one of your best races. 2016, combined sedans at Bathurst with Tony Evangelou. How good was that race? <laughs> oh, bloody Tony Evangelou. 
he's a thorn on my side, I tell you. Him and I, we're, we're good mates. Good. <laughs> and uh, every time we, you know, I don't know, put our helmets on, we seem to run into each other. <laughs> he, he pushed me and I pushed him. <laughs> yeah. There were three races at that meeting. You won two of them and he won the other. So, And yeah. they were side by side basically throughout the whole weekend. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you into know, each we other, talking... there was uh, quite a few bits of marks on both cars, might add. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think there was well, a bit really... of, there was a fair bit of blue Lubramax swapped around between each car, wasn't there? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that meeting you referred to back in 2016. Um, yeah. No, yeah, no, but prior to that, you were talking about that event where four cars went yeah, to Simmons. Simmons. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah, one I I took my AU Falcon for a fella, Mark Shepard, from Aubrey uh, Wangaratta to drive yep. just to keep, to try and get three cars to four. <laughs> At that meeting, Tony and I were first and second all weekend and four cars on the track. And I did a bonnet, a bootleg. <laughs> he did a bonnet and a bootleg front <laughs> Like, and Rob Kirkpatrick was forever grateful for the two of you for doing bonnets and bootleads because he was like, come on now, everybody come and join us. Oh god, it was yeah, wild. So there back to Tony. That's that's the way him and I race together. Yeah. And that I know the event you're talking about was quite good because all we had to do, we got together and we said if we can get to the cutting in front of those sports sedans, because they were that much faster in a straight line. Yeah, we'll have be a right. gap. Well, yeah. yeah, by the time we get to Forest Delbo, we'll have enough yeah. that they won't get it back on the straight. I think that was the last, we... the last time that um, the Silver Bullet, Chris Musket, drove the RX-7 was uh, at that event. Was that right, Kaz? Is that the one? He might have come third or fourth in those races. Uh, I just kind of opened uh, all The whole focus of the race was on Terry and Tony. Of course it was, yeah. It was a, it was <laughs> we didn't see much else going sure. on. Yeah. Mm, <laughs> yeah. Mm. That was the only bit that we, we agreed on, that once we had... Yeah, four or five car lengths on the um, those sports sedans, the fast ones. Well, then we start battling out ourselves. Yeah, and we did. Gary, mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are rapidly coming to uh, a conclusion with this because we're running out of time, and 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 it is uh, in the middle of the day where you're um, running your workshop and your race team. At this point in time, I always like to ask. Um, our guests your it's a two 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 questions in one your greatest single greatest moment at a racetrack or in motorsport and Jeez. off off the back of that you you probably just answered so probably tony evangelou but your greatest nemesis or the one thing or person that you would go to a racetrack and go oh no that 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 dude's here we're gonna have to deal with him or her or whatever it might be uh yeah, that wouldn't be Tony because Tony and I, as much as we did bump into one another, we did have um, respect for it. You know, I like the word bump. Um, yeah, bump. Yeah. <laughs> With bonnets and bootlegs. Yeah. I can't really, you know, like I've always been lucky enough not to let anyone else bother me, if that makes sense. I've so no, one's, no one's actually fired you up? Oh, yeah, I've had plenty of blues in pit lane, Gary. You know, um, <laughs> I had more blues though in pit lane in some of the smaller races we did, like in in the Kumo series with um, a couple of people that I knew were fudging engines. And one bloke bumped into me at Wakefield Park one day, and he had a an entourage of 
I don't know whether they were Greeks or who they were with him, but I was going to take the whole lot on. Um, yeah. And I don't think back and cold, and it's, no one really intimidated me. Most of the people I was involved with, I think, you know, because I was fortunate enough to run with the good drivers, we all had respect for one another. Um, it's an important and, word, know, that like, one, respect, isn't it, when, you, when you're out on the racetrack? It, it, it comes up. It probably doesn't come up often enough because that's when you end up with damage, isn't it? If you're not respecting each other. You do have to respect, you know, and it's a fine line there. And that's probably the hardest thing I find. But and you know, with racing with Ryan, my son, and even the kids that are doing Super Three and Super Two with us, you know, it's a fine line between, you know, waiting for the next corner or the next lap as opposed to making that gap and knocking the mirror off, you know. And as you know, you guys know as well as anyone that sometimes you've got to have a little bit of a crack, and you're not meaning to to take anyone out or it just happens. That, yeah, it happens. It's yeah. motor racing. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And if, if you don't have that, well, you're not going to have anyone following the sport. So yeah, that's true you know. too. That's answered that question. What about your single greatest best moment? Is is it with Ryan, or is it is it is it something deep dark in the past? Look, it's going to come with Ryan. And I love watching him race and go well. Um, I think when we put Image Racing together and did that championship year, that was pretty special, you know, because that Stone Brothers car was something that we bought we didn't know anything about. And we won quite a few races. I think Gary said 10, which was pretty good. Um, and we had a lot of poles and that, that one stands out. Um, it's hard to... Hard to actually pick one, you know, because there's been lots of bloody challenges and you're going, wow, didn't see that coming. But mm. um, I've enjoyed them all, you know. It's um, actually quite interesting that you say that, Terry, because if um, if someone had have said to me, what do you reckon Terry will say the answer to that is, I think Terry will say the whole journey's been so much fun. Yeah. There's yeah. been some fisticuffs in pit lane and I've had to meet people mm-hmm. between transporters and sort them out and things like that. But the, the journey yeah. is, I guess, the, the fun thing. And it is interesting that, um, I guess, uh, being a father and now having someone in the sport, um, everyone we ask that question, they go, I think it might be the next generation coming through might be my mm. proudest moment. I've oh. had a fair bit to do with Rowan Ambrose and young Cadell coming yep. through in, in XLs. And, yep. and Rowan mm-hmm. had lap records and stuff all over the joint. And he just goes, oh, yeah. I, I, I got tears in my eyes every time this kid crosses the line third. Sure, you know, it, it's it is yep. a different thing, isn't it? Mm, mm. Absolutely, yeah. And I think you're right; that will come. And it's great seeing them out there doing well, knowing that you know you've been a, a fair contributor to to it. So, yeah, looking forward to the journey there. Aside from many... aside from your family, if for someone seeking advice on the best way to progress their career, what would what would you tell them? What would you suggest would be the starting point? to get you up through the ranks. Yeah. Well, I mean, the karting's been good, Gary, but I'm I'm not a karting person. I, there's still too many differences, you know, like if you don't have a good engine in karting, you know, mm. and there's, say, in Ryan's class, there's probably um, maybe six or eight people that have the right engines. You can't just go and buy those engines. Um, you've got to have the latest now, the chassis, you know, they're all worth time. Karting's not what people perceive it to be either. You know, like I've seen kids come out with brand new chassis and a brand new engine 
it's the chassis that's two tenths slower than the one that I was told to buy. The kid's probably a ripper driver. He's bought a brand new engine and it's three horsepower down on the engine guy that does my engine that I was told to, to use. So karting by any stretch is not a fair playing ground like people think it is. It's like a lot of other motorsport. But it, it's obviously good for them to come through there. It trains them how to race, how to pass, how to brake. Um, from karting, I like actually, I'm not a big high Hyundai fan. I'm a front-wheel drive XLs. Um, that class is quite expensive now. If you want the best engine, the best mm. exhaust system, yeah, for sure. So on and so on. You've got to go to Les and spend a lot of money on the exhaust, <laughs> and you've got to go to Norwell and do a thousand laps first. <laughs> I like, you know, and all this is all just burning up people's money. Yeah. I like the Toyotas. Um, you know, I'd like to get Ryan a Toyota, particularly one of the the generation this year that's superseded at the end of the year. Yep. Because it's rear wheel drive. It's a car, full bodied car. If he wants to learn how to brake heel and toe, um, you know, I think they're, they are a good, and it should be quite affordable. Nothing's really cheap in the whole game, but Mm. I think, so, you know, karting, Toyota. um, I'm not sure where, the Kumo series is going, you know, they're obviously trying to get that off the ground again. Um, you know, super, you may be Kumo and then you've got the option of Super 3, Super 2. Well, problem with Kumo, I think those cars are worth too much now. The people yeah. don't want to race them. Mm, true. Yeah, but true. are they, guess They're race cars. You know, like well, you can park them up in a museum. Or you, you can, can go and buy and one and see how much it costs you. Yeah, that's true too. <laughs> go yeah, down well, and see yeah. my mate at Image Racing in Caramara <laughs> see if I can strike a deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, fortunate enough, we've still got two FGs there, Stone Brothers. There you go. <laughs> there you go, Daz, you're in. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess, you know, I always ask them where they want to end up. You know, if people say they want to be the next Shane Van Gisbergen and supercars is ultimately where they want to finish, well, then, sure, there's a process to go through and, and um, a few categories to get there. Whereas, you know, there seems to be a lot of options at the moment. You know, you had your Bryce Forwards that did five years of Super 2 before, you know, even getting a, mm. a um, endurance drive. Mm. So, but, you know, we we get a lot of help from Erebus now, as you guys know, and we're pretty much just trying to run their kids through so they can have good co-drivers, you know, or potentially a main game seat when whoever decides to retire. There's nothing or, like uh, having someone breathing down the neck of your main game drivers if, they, uh, if they're if they not living living up to their uh, their promises, well, is it? The way things are going, a few of them might be heading off to NASCAR world in this stage. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There'll be some vacancies. Yeah. That's the problem with supercars at the moment. Unless someone moves on, it's a closed shop, isn't it? It, it is, yeah. I'm not sure what they can do about that licensing or the rec whatever the charter, whatever they call it. I mean, they, someone told me on the weekend they're trying to drop it back to 24. They are, yeah. For, yeah, for the flyaway event so they can put the whole field on one plane or something. But I don't know. I'd still like the opportunity um, to be able to do some wildcard stuff, but then this new car has cost them twice as much <laughs> or more than it should have. Um, 
you know, that started off as 350. You probably remember that, Gary. <laughs> yes. And that's where White Trans Am and TA2 are popular, I think, because it's a better alternative for much the same sort of bang. Yep. The trouble is, again, like I say, where did, where do the kids want to go? If you want to just go and do some good racing, sure, TA2, um, Toyotas, whatever. But if you mm-hmm. want to be a main game supercar driver, you're going to have to come through and get some runs on the board in at least Super 2. Yeah, well, you, you need know. that for your licence to start with. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to get into that debate. because I'm. Yeah, yeah, well, if Daniel Ricciardo wants to come back to Australia and race in supercars, he's got to do Super 2 first. Yep. Well, yep. Casey Stoner had a crack at that, didn't he? Moved on. Yeah, yeah, I think there is a clause, though. I'm pretty sure that supercars would let Daniel Ricciardo or, um, you know, a top-ranked NASCAR driver or whatever come in. Well, it wasn't an issue a few years ago, was it? No, no. And I think there's still there's still clauses in there which we always find out about. <laughs> <laughs> while, we've, uh, while we've just opened up a Pandora's box, guys, we've, uh, we've run out of time. And it's yeah, the next under, episode. It's very <laughs> under uh, very un Terry Wynoon to open up a Pandora's box and finish it. Uh, we, we we might have to meet between the transporters and thrash this one out at a race meeting, Terry. Exactly. If he's if yeah. he's not under his car, something's That's fixing right. it. That's right. Drag him out by his feet from under the car. Now come and talk to us, Terry. Righto. Nick off, Darren. <laughs> Sounds like you're going to get stuck into me. So, <laughs> well, I reckon I reckon we've had a, a good old chat. And on that note, Terry, thank you so much for joining Gary and I. Albeit in the middle of the day when um when you should be out there running your workshop and keeping everything going. Really, really appreciate your time joining us on the Grassroots Racing Podcast. Thank you. So I think, yeah, thanks for thinking of me. It's good. And I hope uh, within a couple of years' time, when Gaz and I are still going here and we've we've got our ownership and our sponsorship deal sorted out, that we can have Ryan along and we can we can have a chat to him about uh, his racing life in North America as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep, that he sounds go, good. Go for all the grief he had to go through with his old man to get racing. <laughs> I don't think he's got. You know, something tells me it's not. It's going to be a little bit easier journey for him, Gary. <laughs> let's hope that's he doesn't not, doesn't want to bite the hand off that feeds him Gaz all right now I reckon he'd, yeah, yeah, well, he'd, be, I reckon he'd probably be pretty grounded <laughs> absolutely yep Boys, thank you mom, very thank me. you very much Terry appreciate you good on you thanks guys fantastic to have a, a legend of the the dirt uh the Thunderdome you know the super speedway and and circuit racing certainly with number of large national championships and now you know mentoring helping along the next generation, numerous ones can point to image racing as a place that they started to really mature as a race driver, wasn't it, Gaz? It certainly was. Uh, did Really good to talk to, easy. And as you mentioned there, one of those guys you could walk up to and uh, tap him on the foot oh, while he's under a car. And ask yeah, tap him on the foot, he'd... that's right, yeah. <laughs> Grab him by the ankles and rip him out from under the car. And he'd, and he'd answer your question. He wouldn't uh, buzz you off or anything like that. So exceptionally great bloke. Gaz racing uh, underway at Queensland Raceway on the weekend with the return of the Shannon's Trophy Series to uh, Queensland Raceway for its round two of the inaugural season of the Trophy Series. And um, look, it's hard to 
uh, hard to walk away from the headline category of sports sedans, but there were certainly others in there. And I guess from my big take out of the, the Toyota Gazoo Racing Australia Scholarship Series continues on its way. If you get out of the trailer and you've got a great race car, you're going to win all three races. Alice Buckley uh, clean swept it like uh, Max Gagan and Matt Hillier and um, Marcus Liddell, Marcus yeah. Liddell yes. and all the previous rounds. And she just did a tremendous job of it. And and work for it too. She was up against oh, Lockie Blockman. Not easy. And uh, Lockman had actually got in front of her in the last race, but she managed to get it back. And Lockman's seasoned. He races in the main series. He also races in Michelin Porsche Sprint Challenge. He so was actually it, really gracious in his comments too. He was very, was, yeah. very much impressed with Alice's racing. So good on Lockie. Really, and um, you know, obviously, she had a bit of uh, track knowledge on him, but. Apart from that, though, it was, yeah, as you say, very uh, co uh, complimentary of her uh, ability around that circuit and in that car. Radicals but, um, had a fairly similar um, result, didn't they, with the young uh, young Alex uh, doing very well on both Saturday and Sunday? Well, at the first round, which was down at Sydney Motorsport Park, he won the first race and then had enough, had a broken gearbox in the second race. This time, he converted two races into two victories and really pushed himself in the fight for the series. And really, there was no one who could touch him. It is interesting because uh, Chris Perini and Peter Padden have had that category you know, along with Neil Mustin as well to themselves. And uh, he's burst onto the scene I think one of the good things about that, that at Sydney Motorsport Park, when it didn't go his way, tender young age, he was so circumspect and so, you know, he looked at it for what it was. And interestingly enough, every time you turn around, Josh Hunt is, you know, he's working with him and he's helping him to face those more difficult moments. And when you can put those difficult moments to one side and get on with it, you're going to advance your racing quickly. And for the guy, <laughs> the tender young age that he is, he's doing a terrific job. Well, I can see him winning this uh, uh, series, the Workhorse Radical Cup Australia series, and then venturing off and we'll hear about him winning Le Mans in many years to come. Let's That's hope so. Seen. Let's hope so. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, race cars, uh, certainly uh, we had the fourth round of the Australian Formula Open series, and that was won by Trent Grubel. He had two race wins, but couldn't quite get the third one, which was the Errol Gilmore Memorial Cup. Uh, that was one by Ryan Howe. Talking about gracious, he's been, uh, it, it was awesome. Um, uh, Errol's wife was there to present the trophy. Chris was there racing in the race. Um, it was uh, it was a bit of a get together of all the old Formula 3 people and, and remembering a guy who was a, a fantastic bloke. And um, Ryan, the, the, the gravity of that trophy wasn't lost on Ryan. He's been um, exceptional in, in all interviews mentioning, you know, how privileged he is to take that away. And I'm actually wrapped that Ryan's had a race win. He needed it. Um, his career needed it. And I'm going to say he's an up guy, so he keeps looking on the bright side. But um, really, really nice to see him grab that uh, that victory. Um, it's really the Australian Formula Open thing has brought a community together rather than just a category. And it's bringing, it's, it's opened up, as the name says, it's opened up avenues for people with open wheelers that are, you know, of under two litre specification to, to come along and have a race. And I guess like when they first started the, the Kumo Tires V8 Touring Cars, Gaz, it's given people with open wheelers that don't necessarily go there to win a race, but to want to enjoy the, 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 the joy of purest motorsport and open wheeler race cars. Well, that's what it needs. You know, we've got a Formula Pacific car, a Formula Atlantic, whatever you want to call it. Um, you've got Formula 2, 
Formula 3, Formula 4, and Formula Ford 2000, a Toyota race series type car as well. Anything is eligible to run in it up to two litres. And it's just opened it up. There's classes for each of those divisions. So what Tim Macro's baby's doing there is growing. Certainly is, and uh, and very much worthwhile uh, watching the, the the racing as well. It is uh, it's good stuff. It's like having we have a to touch yeah. on the, we have to touch on the XLs. We do have to. Off you go. Right. So we had five races a weekend. It was round four of the Queensland XL Championship. Uh, the first two races won by Jack Wood. The second two races, or races three and four, were won by Jalen Raboffin. And the last race was won by Tyler Collins. Tyler Collins said at the post-race interview, that is the most insane race I've ever been in, and XLs are insane anyway. That's right, he did. He went uh, He went on the live stream <laughs> with that comment with a big smile on his face. And, and again, a guy going racing for all the right reasons. He's just there to have a ball and does so. And I think... Well, they all look like they were doing that. Yeah, was, I think like he could, he could land second last and he'd still say the same thing yeah there's seven or eight cars battling for the lead in each of the races the last one got a little bit wild towards the end but you expect you know that's where all where all everything was on the line so yeah really good so different from the precision international national sports and head series <laughs> absolutely Which... different now gaz you and i we've been around this series for a little while and we know we know a lot of the characters involved but I think you and I were just with two of the character kids up on top of the the, the buildings uh, on the Saturday afternoon race where um, it was a sports sedan race of old with, uh, of course, when we say that, we've got a reference that Tony Riccadello was fighting for the race lead and ultimately got it. But he, uh, he took it on and um, it was just one of those battles where the ground thumped. Yeah. And, he uh, and Steve Tomasi. For lap after lap, with with uh, Tony trying to get past him, and ultimately he did. There was a little bit of red paint on the back of the Calibra at the end, just a little bit. But uh, Steve's dad was jumping for joy, as you said. He couldn't believe how great a race it was. And yeah, much- Dan was very, very interesting. Dan's an intense uh, race driver himself, an intense father of the guy that ultimately got second in that race. But, um, yeah, he, he was like, he's... In, in the pits going sports and ends are back baby and then <laughs> it's testament to the work that him john gawley and michael robinson do working away in the background of that category and uh that gee they just turned it on three races of ding dong battles and i've got to say what? that my, my favorite battle of, of all in sports and ends was 2013 between darren hossack and tony riccadello i actually think queensland raceway induces itself great battles it for those cars but for the first lap or so of that second race, Caruso and Riccadello were side by side. They were rubbing panels. They swapped the lead about three times, if memory serves me yep, right, yep. on the opening lap. Yes. That's how good it was. Yeah. Anyway, at the end of the day, um, Tony Riccadello got the win on on Saturday afternoon. Um, Jordan Caruso had an issue with, they had an issue with the car with a header pipe, I believe it was, um, On got it fixed on Saturday night. And uh, by the end of the day, they went away with a new lap record at a 106.83, taken that off Thomas Randall. And actually, Tony Riccadello had gone under that time as well during the last race of the weekend. Well, Caruso won the round, uh, Riccadello second. And 
believe it or not, Ash Jarvis in third spot, and he was the points leader coming into the round. He's still the points leader yeah. leaving the round, and he knows that he hasn't got the pace to match those top three cars, but if he's the next one each time they go out, even more than happy. And I've spoken to all three of the big guys, and they're all well aware of Ash's um, uh, strategy. <laughs> up yeah, they are very much aware of what, what he's up to. But in typical sports sedan fashion, those top three. Look, even re- remove them from it, even you know Ryan Humphrey in that big Silver XD travels 4,600 kilometres to, to get there from WA, as does Tony Riccadello. But um, he just does it behind a delivery van on a trailer. That car is so fast. He was racing with Michael Robinson. Um, Robbo's fast. He's had. He's been the. He's the bridesmaid of national sports sedans with seconds and thirds in the title hunt over many many years. Who had a a good weekend until a, a, an issue at the end. As did Stephen Tomasi. He parked up as all the drama was unfolding with the Connolly uh, Falcon uh, caught on fire at pit entry. Yeah, unfortunately for Tomasi, the oil pump failed. Yeah. But it happened just as he came around turn six. So he just uh, went into pits and went past the very smoky falcon that was parked there getting extinguished. Uh, yeah, the other one that pretty really dramatic stood out in my point, mind, though. oh, yeah. Uh, the other one that stood out in my mind was Tony Cox in the Saab, in the Dodge powered Saab. He had uh, a, a name of the past, Jeff Barnes, doing a lot of work, and he attributed Jeff to why he was running so well. In actual fact, he went out on new tyres. In the first race, used his new tyres up and just went with what he had for the rest of the meeting. And that's why he slid off out of fourth, well, what what been third position in the final race and finished behind Jarvis. He actually got ahead of Jarvis at that point. And he actually took out the category, um, I'm not sure what they call the award. Let's call it the best on ground award as well. And he got a massive round of applause because... Uh, um, as much as the sports sedan field, they thump the ground. Nothing quite thumps the ground like the Mopar in that uh, Saab, does it? Yeah. <laughs> it no, gets, uh, it gets up some boogies. Anyway, we're, yeah. we're going to move off from Queensland Raceway and talk about the Winton Festival of Speed, which was on the same weekend. Our good friends at Blendline were live streaming that event as well as at QR, so they were busy boys. But the main categories down there, just touching on them quickly, uh, Group N, Brad Tilly won all three races in his Ford Mustang. Andy Williams was second in the three races in his Tirana. And the third spots were shared by Darren Collins, Peter McNiven and Adrian Boyle, uh, two Camaros and uh, RX2, some old little master thing. <laughs> and that in- Tilly's win included the 50K plate that they ran for. HQ Holdens were on the... Uh, program as well. Andrew Magelton beat Ryan Woods in all three races. Uh, Gavin Ross was third in the first race and Ken Wright was third in the following two races. Formula Fords, Nick McBride had two wins over Jonathan Mills before Mills turned the tables in the last and beat McBride and Will Liston was third in all three races. And finally in Heritage Touring Cars, these are Group C and Group A cars. David Tower in his BMW won all three races ahead of Bill Cutler in the first one, also in the BMW. Then Steve Axia in his VH Commodore was second in the other two races. And a big shout out to Paul Vernell returning to the MGs on the weekend with his new son. And uh, they ventured up there with the whole family. So uh, another Vernell entering, entering the racing world. Gaz, up-and-coming events this weekend, of course, the um, Shannon's Speed Series at Queensland Raceway. We'll have all the usual uh, categories on board there. 
It certainly will. We've got six categories on board, actually. We start with TCR. We've got Trans Am with four races this weekend rather than the three. We've got the Por- uh, Michelin Porsche Sprint Challenge running there just two weeks after they last did. It's simply so the GTs, uh, they uh, Fanatic GT World GT Australia World Challenge. I'll get it right. Howard um, by AWS. Yeah, but they, they, they're actually got a, a, an innovation this weekend. For Sunday's race, there'll be a top 10 shootout for the AMs so that the the pros can start the cars, if yeah, you get right. the idea of that. Yep. Okay, one of our favourites, uh, production cars, along with uh, it's a Mobile One production cars, along with the uh, monochrome GT4, seven of those running this weekend. Uh, they've got a one-hour race on Friday and a one-hour race on Sunday, but in between that, on Saturday night, we've got a two-hour race, and this is our what we used to call the fight in the night. And that was just you and I trying to reach for the chips with sauce on it, wasn't it, in the commentary booth? Yeah, and someone complained about too much sauce and got yeah. it all over himself. Gee, there's been some uh, – <laughs> that that fight in the night um, – I've called every single one of them until this year, but uh, it's one of those races that it, – it's on the landscape of motorsport, it just sort of disappears, but it, it really is a race in the production car world of great stature. It is, and and the name, almost by mistake, match, has matched every single one of those races. It has yeah, ended up being a fight in the night. Yeah, but it's but it's, I don't think it's called the fight in the night. It's not listed in the program as one, which is a shame if it isn't, because it, it might be still the be. tickle in the underbelly or something, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Highlight of that uh, particular fight in the night was the safety car coming into the pits to change the batteries in the radios and whole so field. I still think that's a classic. That doesn't happen very often. Finally, on that program, of course, we've got uh, the Kumo V8 touring cars. And uh, my sources lead me to believe that we will have quite a few additions this weekend as opposed to the six we had at Winton. Let's hope Well, so. I, ho- I hope good mate of the, the podcast... Uh, um, Ray Hislop has a great weekend. Well, he raced last weekend. He's coming back to race this weekend, so yeah. he's got so he's got a bit of uh, track knowledge up his sleeve. He certainly he? has. He certainly has. Gaz here in Victoria. We return to round four of the Victorian State Circuit Racing Championship, the Triple Eight Home Loans Victorian State Circuit Racing Championship. Usual protagonists, nine four fours. Vic V eights will have. Uh, we'll jump onto the big stage with the State Series this weekend. E thirties. Um, Formula Ford, Formula V, um, and Gaz, the Saloon Car Nationals, as well as the Formula Ford National Series, are part of this weekend. I know you're going to be keen to watch Blendline TV with those Saloon Car Nationals. I wouldn't miss it for the world. And uh, while talking about other meetings, the New South Wales State Championships Round 5 is on at City Motorsport Park. They're using the Druitt or the North Circuit. And it's a one-day meeting going day in tonight. So that should be pretty good. The usual categories that um, they obviously have to, uh, can't run all their categories at one meeting. So I think there's HQs, there's Formula Ford. I don't know how many they're going to get if there's a national Formula Ford series down in Victoria. Um, uh, Formula Vs uh, and a lot like running at that one. Well, Gaz, there it is, episode number 31. A big thanks to Terry Wyhoon for joining us here tonight. Where are you off to this weekend? The Rudy Hill Rudy RSL for a Palmer or? Palmy. Palmer. Palmer. Yeah, right. Righto. 
Certainly. Well, that rounds it up. Big thanks to Terry Wyhoon. And of course, racefuels.com.au, their locations. Again, Dandenong, 37 Mark Anthony Drive. Give them a call on 9706 5233 Trackside, Phillip Island, Grand Prix Circuit, Sydney Motorsport Park, Queensland Raceway. By the way, we saw on the weekend, what a facility. Great uh, investment that uh, Racefuels have done there at the circuit. The Bend and also Malala. We'll catch you at episode number 32 in a week or so's time. See you, Daz. See you, Gaz. You've just listened to a Speed Cafe Pod Hub production.